0: Welcome to Financial Crime Matters with Kieran Beer. I'm Kieran Beer, Chief Analyst and Director of Editorial Content for ACAMS, the world's largest membership organization for anti-financial crime professionals. In this episode, I talk with Daniel Stepano, partner at Davis Polk and a 30-year veteran of the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, and Jamal El-Hindi, counsel at Clifford Chance and a veteran of the U.S. Treasury for 20 years. We talk about the Financial Crime Enforcement Network's latest rulemaking that determines who will have access to the US Beneficial Ownership Information database and where generally anti-financial crime efforts will go in 2023 and for years beyond. I hope you find the podcast informative and that you subscribe to Financial Crime Matters either on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Here we go.
1: Compliance program management is in your wheelhouse But have you ever considered how effective your program really is? Not just how many learners completed that AML course, but whether it's actually helping them do the right thing. This is where LRN comes in. LRN is the global leader in ethics and compliance solutions. In fact, compliance learning from Thomson Reuters has just joined forces with LRN. Visit lrn.com to learn more about it and be sure to get your hands on their latest program effectiveness report. It's fantastic.
0: Well, I'm pleased to have Daniel Stepano and Jamal al-Hindi with me here today to talk about the Financial Crime Enforcement Network's latest rulemaking around U.S. beneficial ownership and who has access to that information and really the whole anti-financial crime landscape for the foreseeable future. Thanks for being here. Welcome, Dan and Jamal.
1: Thanks.
2: Thank you.
0: So let's get right to it. December 15th, we got an NPRM that talked about what access would be for everybody to the beneficial ownership database that is going to be FinCEN's responsibility and launches on January 1st, 2024. One of the big questions is that people were surprised, and maybe you want to comment whether they should have been or not. I sort of was, and maybe because I just didn't read the rule and uh, the legislation closely enough. Dan, maybe starting with you, who's likely to have access to beneficial ownership information on the basis of that NPRM?
1: Well, if the proposal is finalized as written, there basically will be five groups that will have access, and all of them come with uh, some terms and conditions. So, for example, the first group would be federal, state, local, and tribal officials, provided that they are seeking access for national security, law enforcement, and intelligence activities. Foreign law enforcement and judicial and government entities also have access, but they have to be working through intermediaries or have a special arrangement with the U.S. government. Financial institutions that are subject to the CDD rule can get access with the approval of the customer so this is going to rule out lots of institutions like msbs for example and uh, crypto entities federal functional regulators acting in a supervisory capacity or a law enforcement capacity will get access and the u.s department of treasury
0: jamal There was a lot of speculation that one of the things that would happen to solve this problem, since financial institutions wanted access to this information, that you'd be able to, when you brought a client on board, get them to sign a permission to have ongoing access to their
2: beneficial information filings. That's not really going to happen under this rule, is it? Well, let's keep in mind that there are a couple of ways to have access to information. One is being able to obtain the information maybe indirectly, and another is to have system access to be able to go in and look at things yourself. And One of the things that we see among these five categories that Dan pointed out is that there are differences. The law enforcement officials, state, federal, local, tribal, if they meet certain conditions, sign certain agreements, et cetera, et cetera, will have direct access to the system the foreign law enforcement agencies and financial institutions will be able to get information, but it is less likely to be a situation where they're going to be able to get it directly from the system. And Kieran, with respect to the issue of how it would work for financial institutions, They may not have access to the system per se. They may be able to request something from FinCEN if they show that they've got the permission of their customer. But the way I read the proposal, they would only have to get that permission from the customer one time, and then they might be able to make multiple requests. That's probably something that might get discussed a little bit in the rulemaking itself, but that's the way I read what's been proposed so far.
0: Dan, is that how you read it too? It's just that that's a it's not I think everybody expected that issue to be directly addressed, and it's just not yet.
1: Yeah, I, I read it the same way. What financial institutions would not be allowed to do would be an open-ended query. In other words, uh, you, you couldn't put in the name Dan Stepano and see how many legal entities, reporting companies I'm I'm associated with. Rather, what the institution would do is to certify to FinCEN when they make the request that they have the customer's consent. And then they'll get a printout back from FinCEN showing the beneficial owners that have been reported to FinCEN by the reporting company. So no, no open-ended queries. It's much more uh, narrow than that. And the purpose of, of that is only to facilitate compliance with the beneficial ownership requirements of the CDD rule.
2: And the rule doesn't have the exact language that I have said in terms of this notion of only needing to obtain the consent one time, but that's in the preamble where they've described what they mean. Sometimes you have to dig into the preamble language for an interpretation of the rule, and that's where I found that issue of they ask for it and then they have to track whether or not that consent has ever been revoked for any reason they'd have to demonstrate to FinCEN, as Dan said, that they have permission to get it, then they could make the request to FinCEN.
0: Part of this whole legislation that was CTA was to give banks a break. So do we have any clarity from the NPRM what the role of banks will be in terms of when they check that BOI, which is beneficial ownership information for those who are new to this, uh, when they check that, and they see a discrepancy, what are they supposed to do? We don't really know yet.
1: (laughs) We may get more information from FinCEN, perhaps we'll get FAQs, but I would think that at a minimum, regulators are going to expect financial institutions to reconcile the information. In other words, if their legal entity customer gave them the names of certain individuals that are beneficial owners, and then they check the registry, and the registry has a different group, I think they're going to have to reconcile it what's not clear is whether they'll be required to notify fincen or take any action with respect to fincen but you know perhaps we'll we'll learn that down the road we do have to keep in mind that there's going to be another proposal to make uh, amendments to the existing cdd rule and it could be covered there possibly
2: this latest rule is all about access and not about expectations with respect to what's done with that access on the part of financial institutions and how it affects their compliance programs. I agree with Dan, at some point, even if it's not in the rule, there may be expectations that develop over time in terms of what it means if there's a discrepancy, for example. You know, know, one obvious thing could be if somebody has reported something to the FinCEN database and they've reported something different to the financial institution, Do you look at that? Is that suspicious in and of itself? Is it the type of thing that might lead to a SAR? You know, those are some of the things that we'll just have to see as it develops.
0: Yeah, I think that was a big uh, question. Does that mean I file a SAR if I see some discrepancy? And I guess you're both saying, just to be explicit, maybe, maybe not, we don't know yet.
2: I'd say yes. What I would add is that, you know, with respect to suspicious activity reporting, I think. there are probably going to be situations where there will be some expectation under certain circumstances, this is suspicious, and they want to know about it directly from the financial institutions. And there could be other situations where maybe it's explainable, it's fixable, or something like that. There will be some suspicious activity reporting generated as a result of this. That's my expectation. But what the guidance is and what Vincent is actually looking for, some of that is just going to have to be borne out by practice and working with industry over time.
0: It's interesting that Dan, you brought this up that MSBs, VASPs, uh, I mean, it's this whole world of uh, kind of alternate payment systems providers are not going to have access to this database. And that raises the question are there other gray areas as to who will have access? And is this an evolving thing? May they get access at some point, Dan? I think that's possible, but
1: it's not in the proposal. So what that would mean that, I mean, I don't think that FinCEN can finalize a proposal without having at least, you know, made reference to this and solicited comments on it. So I'm not expecting that at least at the outset, when this rule is finalized that MSBs or crypto firms or other entities that are not subject to the existing CDD rule, uh, will get access to the database down the road, uh, Perhaps that that changes. VinceN may rethink it, but at least in the short run, I don't think they will get access.
2: And it would be the case where if they ultimately have more of a changed requirement on their part you know, with respect to CDD or collecting beneficial ownership information, that's what would logically bring them into the fold for having access to this. As Dan pointed out, the purpose of the access is to assist with compliance with the rules that the other financial institutions have. If things are tightened up with respect to MSBs, then maybe it makes sense for them to have access as well.
0: Is it fair to say that the real beneficiaries of the whole database is law enforcement first and foremost, and that's who it was intended to be to the degree that financial institutions and some others expected this would be an aid to them. It's it's very limited.
2: I would say that the history of the statute is actually quite interesting in how it all came together. Different people were expecting different things and different things to be prioritized. Law enforcement always expected that they would be the primary beneficiaries of this. I think that that was something that I assumed at FinCEN as well when I was there, that the primary purpose was for transparency for Law enforcement to add that to their arsenal and to help get it through, there was an understanding that there could also be benefits for industry.
0: So, Jamal, based on what you just said, and you were at FinCEN and so part of this, uh, how does this fit? And I know neither of you do lots and lots of international stuff at this point, but how does this fit in with the kind of global expectations in FATF and other sources with uh, the US having? A database that is um, on beneficial ownership and that is to some degree more accessible than perhaps what this is going to be.
2: I do think it goes a long way to checking some of the boxes that the United States has been criticized for not having this type of information in place. I think that if you look at the FATF recommendations, there are probably still some things that you know, say say down the road, if, if somebody was to assess whether or not the system in the United States is up to snuff with those recommendations, they'll probably be looking at things like, is the access timely? Is the information in the database actually accurate? That's something that I think there'll be some focus on because we really don't have processes for verification at this point. And just in terms of law enforcement access or appropriate use of the information, I think the United States will probably come out okay, but there's something in the FATF recommendations about public access. What public actually means, I don't know. There's certainly a pushback in Europe to public access to beneficial ownership registries. I think it goes a long way, but there will probably be some things where people can pick here and there.
1: I agree with Jamal. I think this moves us closer to being in compliance with FATF recommendations and international standards you know whether it will get us all the way across the finish line i don't really know but what is very clear is that this is not a public database in fact the only non governmental entities that are going to get access is going to be financial institutions and even there it's very limited as to which institutions and the you know the information that they're going to receive and how they can use the registry so clearly not a, a public database. Uh, you know, Individuals, uh, journalists will not have access to it. I don't know uh, whether that will ultimately affect the assessment of the United States as compliance with the FATF standards or not, but that appears to be the direction that this is headed in.
0: So this also leads to, and Jamal, I don't know if you wanna start on this. What are we expecting with regard to the CDD rule continuing to be something, you know, it, it, banks have spent a fortune uh, and other financial institutions, banks and, and particularly, uh, have spent a fortune to create databases that um, have all this information. in it. what happens to the CDD rule? How do we see that being reconciled so far based on what you've seen?
2: Well, there are a couple of things to think about. One is that the statute says reconcile the CDD rule with CTA. Now, there are some things in CTA that I think banks would not necessarily want changed. The CTA requires information on the control prong of beneficial ownership. It could be anybody and several people that would have to be reported under the CDD rule. Currently, it's just one. Just by way of background, in terms of beneficial ownership, there's an equity control where we have a 25% rule where at most you could have four people that would have to be reported, four individuals, and a control prong. And under the CDD rule currently, you only have to identify one person with control. Under the CTA, uh, you essentially have to identify all persons under control. That's what has to be reported to FinCEN. Whether that is the type of... there's a potential to make them consistent, there could actually be more requirements on banks that people will have to look for. I'll let Dan weigh in on this as well. My concern with all of this is that the time frame for moving forward on reconciling the CDD rule and changing it, I just feel that there needs to be enough time to see how this new system is actually working and benefiting law enforcement so that you can then determine What might be remaining gaps that need to be filled through working with the financial institutions? And what are some things that the financial institutions no longer have to do?
1: If you read the language of the CTA, it does suggest that what FinCEN is supposed to do is to conform the beneficial ownership requirements of the existing CDD rule to the CTA. So if they do that, then as Jamal suggests, you end up with this much broader definition of what is a beneficial owner. And it, you know it's not just the substantial control term, which I find to be complicated and ambiguous in the regulation, but also the definition of ownership is very broad and much broader than what is in the current CDD rule. So when you add the two together, I think what you'll end up with is a much larger number of beneficial owners that institutions are going to have to collect information on and verify their identities. And it's not just a one and done. This is something that has to be updated and refreshed throughout the life of the relationship. You know, rather than being a burden reduction measure for financial institutions, I I could see this greatly adding to their compliance burden going forward. And Jamel's point about the timing about this is also well taken. I think all of the, the deadlines that are in the AML Act are very aggressive. But here, Vincent is supposed to have a final rule out on the changes to the CDD rule one year after they stand up the registry, you know that would be like, you know, January 2025. I think that's very aggressive, and I, and I agree with Jamal, it would probably be for everyone's benefit to kind of let this play out a little bit before you finalize that rule.
0: I guess this goes to the advice that you're giving to financial institutions right now. They're just gonna keep maintaining their CDD efforts and this becomes a slight or big addition to what they do.
1: Yeah, I really don't think at the end of the day that this achieves any kind of uh, burden reduction for institutions, I think it probably adds to it. You know, as far as what we're telling institutions to do right now, it's BAU for now, right? Because they're they're still subject to the beneficial ownership requirements of the existing CDD rule. And, you know, until that is actually amended, they have to comply with it, but they need to start at least thinking about how they will use the registry once it's stood up and the implications that that it's going to have for their customer due diligence. Those implications could be potentially pretty far reaching. Yeah, you know, for example, they may need to revisit some of their policies and procedures. They may need to uh, work with IT, ensuring that there's adequate information security around this. They're going to need to keep their management and board in the loop as far as what they're doing. There may be some need to uh, train staff and and educate customers. And the governance over all of this is gonna be very, very important, and I think somewhat challenging.
2: Right now, given the way the proposal's drafted, and this notion that they would need to have customer consent if they were to even request information, they might think about, okay, how might we get that? Would we change our onboarding practices so that that becomes, you know, for every new customer, that becomes kind of like a boilerplate condition? How would that look? How much time would it take to put something in place like that? Would they do something with respect to customer refreshes to start adding that in there? There's nothing that prevents them from doing that at this point in anticipation, but you know it's a judgment call as to whether or not they would want to put the resources into it. And then I think the other thing I would suggest is you know, right now with respect to the beneficial ownership information collection, you know, there are minimum requirements, but a lot of institutions go a little bit further than that. They might need to be rethinking some of that too.
0: So let's move on beyond this. But before we do, I kind of want to ask if there were any things in either of the uh, NPRMs that were surprising to you, the, the first being uh, about collecting the information, the second being about who would have access to the information. Jamal, I don't know if you want to start.
2: Sure. I'll just point out two things. One, you know, FinCEN in its preamble to this rulemaking specifically says their ability to implement and reach out to industry and do outreach, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, all of the things that they have to do is going to be hampered by a lack of resources, that they need more resources. For someone to put that in their rulemaking that's actually a pretty big deal and a lot of people have to approve that all the way up the chain. I found that interesting. It's telling. You know, FinCEN needs more resources and sometimes it's difficult for an agency to actually say that, but they have been given a green light to say that over and over again because it's true. I don't think it was always a given that law enforcement itself would have direct access to look more generally. At some points, there was a discussion as to whether or not they could only use it to support a specific investigation. The way that this has been set up, and I believe it's the correct way to set it up, they can use this data in ways that they would be able to identify trends and patterns, uh, look a little bit more broadly. All of that fits within law enforcement activity. It could have come out on a much more restrictive basis in terms of you have to have a very specific investigation and you will have a very specific question when you're using this database. And the way it's being set up, at least for the law enforcement users, is more similar to the way the rest of the database is set up. And I actually think that's a positive.
0: Dan, anything surprises?
1: Yeah, there were a few things that surprised me. We've touched on on some of them, but uh, one is the complexity of the definitions around substantial control and ownership that are in the beneficial ownership information rule, not the access proposal, but the rule that's been finalized. I look at them. I think they are going to be very difficult to comply with. They're also going to expose institutions and reporting companies to some second guessing as to whether or not they've gotten it right. I think it'll be uh, one of those uh, Lawyer uh, Full Employment Act type provisions. The second thing is the limitation of access to the registry to financial institutions that are subject to the CDD rule. I mean, that that's basically just you know, banks, broker dealers, mutual funds, you know, futures, and merchants, and introducing brokers, that's it. Nobody else gets access. I did not think that they would be that narrow. And then the use of the information is really, really narrow too. It is only f- to facilitate compliance with the beneficial ownership requirements of the CDD rule. You can't use it for general CDD, just compliance with that rule. So I think that was a surprise to me. And then uh, the last thing is just uh, along those lines, just the limited information that is provided to the institutions that can access the registry. I mean, basically, it's a printout of what their reporting company customers provided to FinCEN. That's it. How useful all of this ends up being to financial institutions at the end of the day, I think, is
0: uh, open to debate. We are really just about out of time. And I want to thank you both for being here. But before I let you go, we're, we're, we're in January 2023. So I think it's a good opportunity to ask you, what are you looking forward to in the year ahead for regulation, trends in AML and that sort of thing? And, and Dan, if you want to go first.
1: Sure. Well, I, I think we'll definitely see further implementation of the AML Act, uh, not just with respect to the CTA but in other areas as well, um, including the national AML CFT priorities. I think we will probably see a proposal in the not too distant future on that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see movement on real estate and also uh, investment advisors. Investment advisors has been hanging out there for a long time, but uh, FinCEN keeps sending signals that they are prepared to move forward in, in that area. But I think the big story in the regulatory world really is and will be uh, crypto in the wake of the crypto winter and the FTX scandal. I don't know if Congress will be able to act. Uh, They are somewhat dysfunctional at this point. But I think that regulators, especially the CFTC and the SEC, are going to continue to be very active on this front. And I also think that it is likely that the banking agencies will provide greater clarity around the permissibility of certain crypto activities that can be conducted in banks.
0: Jamal, you get the last word.
2: Sure. I agree with what Dan has said. I'll add just a little bit more. The president's unified agenda, the unified regulatory agenda, just came out on January 4th. And it's always interesting to see what has been put out there in terms of the expectation for movement on regulations technically within the next six months. The FinCEN list has real estate on it, it has the uh, priorities, the effectiveness and priorities regulations on there, it's got a couple of other things, but they have not put on that list, again, some of their rulemaking with respect to virtual currency and clearing up some of the regulations there. It doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. It just means that in terms of their resources, they're prioritizing some other things. At least they're saying they're prioritizing some other things over the next six months. But if you compare what they've put on their agenda with what they've put out in their regulatory statement, there's a long list of things that are still pending in the regulatory statement. But what's going to happen in the next six months per that list is a little bit shorter. Whistleblowing, for example, was something that was that they've got to get their whistleblowing regulations out. And there have been some new developments on that front with respect to the addition of sanctions now to the ability to benefit from whistleblowers, benefiting from potential bounties and rewards. There's work to be done on those regulations, but I don't see it on the unified agenda for the next six months. Doesn't mean that they might not do it. It's just that they chose not to list it there.
0: Dan Stepano, partner at Davis Polk, Jamal Al-Hindi, counsel at Clifford Chance, two real pros in the regulatory world. What a pleasure getting insights from you here to look at the rulemaking around Corporate Transparency Act and the year ahead. Thank you very much. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Daniel Stepano, partner at Davis Polk, and Jamal Al-Hindi, counsel at Clifford Chance. I hope you found the podcast compelling and that you will subscribe to Financial Crime Matters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud so that you'll receive an alert for each new podcast. Because financial crime matters to me and to you. See you next time.